spot make up a song that would rhyme. Come on back, coffee break is over. Come on back, yeah. it's time to hear the word. Come on back, cause coffee break is over. Get down, I feel rap coming mm -mm -mm -mm. on. Come on, rap, where's the word? Yeah. It's gonna be the best message you ever heard. Come on, here we go. <laughs> Come in close, <laughs> cuddle up. <laughs> cuddle up. God's radical Maybe embrace. if you I get love. cold, Edwin might loan you his new sock monkey-shaped hand warmers. All right. The sock monkey-shaped hand warmers? Monkey-shaped hand warmers? Hello, we're monkey-shaped hand warmers. This is the first song of our new album. You ready? Okay, let's get this. Go ahead and read. Oh, I'm reading. Okay, I was, I, was waiting for, I was wondering what was happening. I'm reading. All right, and we're settling down. Shh, and we're ready to listen. Yes, sorry, I have small children. Okay, all right. <laughs> Galatians chapter 2. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. So this is Paul writing. For those of you who haven't been here, or are, it's helpful to be reminded, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a letter to the church in Galatia. So this is chapter two. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, God, for Gordy. Thank you that this message is just permeating him right now, that he's so genuinely excited about what it is that you have to say to us as a community, as a church family, through this letter, and why it's for us right now in this time, in this place. Continue to fill him with your Holy Spirit. Continue to give him clarity in his mind that he may be able to communicate sharply and accurately what you're saying to us today and that you might give each one of us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Joanna. Good morning, everyone. Happy Groundhog Day. Happy New Year. And uh, if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Galatians, as, as Joanna shared, uh, verse by verse. And um, I, I love just slowing down and, and reading the text uh, before we even start to share. And so that's what Joanna just did. But we're going to go through the text again. So it's a, bit, a little bit like Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina was an ancient practice of the church where they would slowly read the scripture out loud and they would slow down, read it out loud. And the idea was to listen to it not only with your heart, but your physical ear to be listening to it. And so I want us to li be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit uh, through this, this amazing text, uh, this amazing book. It's, by the way, it's been interesting to me how many 
churches, pastors I meet talking, who've either recently gone through Galatians or are going through Galatians now, just seems to be something the Holy Spirit is impressing on the church again to refresh us in this whole understanding of, of grace and God's radical embrace. And we're calling it God's uh, radical... Oh, I should mention that this text today is quite big, as you noticed. It's quite, quite a big chunk. And it's big because it's kind of self-contained. And I couldn't split it up uh, and do justice to it. So I decided, rather than unnaturally splitting it up, is that we're going to hit it two, two weeks in a row. And I'm going to hit it this week. Peter's going to teach on it next week. He's going to kind of look more at the latter part of this passage you read today, although we'll both be touching on, on, on the, each other's uh, sections because it's just so self-contained. Uh, so just so you're aware of that. Um, we're calling it God's radical embrace and Galatians reminds us that God's radical embrace is not just a nice thought. It is a nice thought, but it's also complicated. It causes a lot of complexities and problems. Because if we just embrace those who are like us and stayed within our own comfort zones relationally, and if the gospel would have just stayed with the Jewish people way back in the first century, we wouldn't have the kind of problems that we're struggling with as we work through Galatians. And if God would have just loved nice people and people who are kind of good living, maybe we wouldn't be having these problems. But God's embrace is radical. And because God loved sinners and tax collectors, when Jesus came, he associated with prostitutes and, and people that were kind of a risk to Jewish national security. They were. And that's a lot of what's going on in here. It was that the Jewish people still believed they were in exile, even though they were living in their own land. And they really believed that we needed to be good, law-abiding Jewish people and get back to the Torah and start smartening up. And, and it, the, these tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners were risking our national security. The Babylonians might come, or the Romans might come, or the, whoever might come. We're never going to be free unless we get back to Torah. There's a lot of that going on. There's fear going on. And so... The challenge continues today because God continues to embrace people. We go, how come he's blessing those guys? And they need to straighten out. They need to shape up. And yet, the very essence of the good news requires this radical embrace. And when it ceases to do that, it's no longer good news, or, or maybe I should say we're no longer good news. The good news will always be the good news. But when we stop that understanding of God's radical embrace, we stop being good news. And this is what happened to Peter here, or Cephas. Now, what's Cephas about? Why is Paul calling him Cephas? What's going on here? All right. Are you with me, groundhoggers? Good news is, is if we blow it, we get another chance. Isn't that how the movie goes? All right. So what happened was uh, when Christians, when believers, when followers of Jesus, whatever you want to call us, those who are seeking to follow the way, when we get the gospel wrong, like Peter, what happened with Peter in this text, we go out of alignment. Now, how many have ever had a car that went, the wheels went out of alignment? Now, what, what happens with, with uh, a car that's out of alignment is, I, got, I found this photograph on the internet, is, is something goes wrong with your wheels. And, and they, there's kind of a factory setting where your wheels are connected to the frame of the car. And when they get out of line with those angles that are set at the factory, you get either them bending out like that or bending in, or they're out out of sorts with each other, right? And the result is, what's the result of your wheels being out of alignment? You have unnatural wear and tear in your tire. Your tires wear out faster. You're in danger of a blowout. And my dad told me a little trick to always know if my car needed 
an alignment job was if I was driving down the road and I let go of the steering wheel, which, of course, I never do. I'm a good driver. No, no, you know what I mean. You loosen your, your hands, right? What happens if you're out of alignment? It pulls. So what Paul is talking about here is there was an unnatural pull that was beginning to happen in the church at Antioch. It was a moral and relational and ethical and spiritual pull that he was saying, wait a minute, we need an alignment. We need an alignment job here. So, our, our text describes this. Let's quickly go over our setting again. Remember that the setting was the church at Antioch, which is kind of a ghost town today, but back in the first century, it's, it's in modern-day Turkey, kind of right on the border there between Turkey and Syria. And it's just a, a ghost town today, but back in those days, it was a, it was a major center for non-Jewish people. It was a Greek center. Antioch is a Greek name. Antiochus was a very famous military general, kind of uh, after Alexander the Great. And they built this city in honor of his name. And you will remember, good Bible students that you are, that Antioch was the first what in history? The first... Well, you're getting there. Keep going. Huh? Call themselves Christians. Yeah, there was a number of historic things that happened at Antioch. But related to our topic, something very major happened here that had never happened before is you had your very first church that was not Jewish. It was predominantly Gentile. They, remember uh, Barnabas went up there? They had this great big revival. And it was shortly after what other critical event that had happened in, in the church. Do you remember? It was almost right after this happened. What happened to Peter? Remember? Yeah. So he went down to, to Joppa. Joppa is right here. Down here. Today it's called Jaffa. Or Jaffa. I'm not sure. Probably Jaffa would be the right pronunciation. And it is on the southern part of Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is, of course, a major city in Israel. So this is what it looks like today. So Peter didn't have to deal with that graffiti back in his day. But that's what it looks like today. And, and remember, he was hungry and waiting for supper time. And he was up on a roof and he was praying. And all of a sudden he saw this vision of a sheet coming down full of lobster and shellfish and bacon and eggs and ham. And the Holy Spirit said to him, rise, Peter. And eat, it's supper time. And he went, oh, that's an abomination. It's an abomination. In the book of Numbers, it says that's an abomination. It's unclean. And the Lord said, Peter, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And remember, it happened three times. And then he got a knock on the door, and it was some Gentiles, some Goyim, some non-Jewish people who said, there's a centurion from the city of Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was just a few miles north. Um, well, not just a few miles. It was a good day's journey. And this is what it looks like today. So, the, you know, that could have been Cornelius' house. No, not really. But, but this, is, this is kind of what Caesarea today on the coast. So if you look here, in this area, whoops, in this area, here's Joppa. So he had to go up to Caesarea. So it was about a day's walk to go up to, to where uh, Cornelius, this Roman centurion, who had an angelic visit. And the angel had said, go get a guy named Peter at Joppa, and he's going to tell you the way. So Peter was prepared for that by that vision, and it was important because if Peter hadn't been prepared by that vision, he'd have never gone, because he would have had to break a bunch of things in the, his Bible, a bunch of commands in his Bible to do what the Holy Spirit was telling him to do. That was, that's scary. Very scary. And he needed God to just intervene. So he'd had that vision. So when he gets to Cornelius' house, he begins to, you know, he begins to do things. He says, oh, if my mother could see me now. As he walks into the house, and he starts eating with the Gentiles, and who knows what kind of unclean things he had to violate. But the Holy Spirit fell as he began to tell them the good news and they hadn't even been baptized yet and they were speaking in tongues and prophesying. God broke all the rules. 
Because he's got a radical embrace, an inclusive embrace. So, of course, Peter got hauled in the carpet, the Jerusalem carpet. See, Peter, he's a, he was a quite an authoritative guy, but we're going to learn from this story today that he still was really vulnerable to some voices who were loud and strong and they sounded like God. What are you doing associating with these unclean people? And so he got hauled on the carpet and he says, well, this is what happened. When I woke up, it was all over. It was like, I just, just God hit me. God, God, holy, he just blamed God for it all. But they listened to him and they went, whoa, that's, 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 that's a God story. And so he told his story and they said, well, then God's granted Gentiles faith too without having to be Jews. That was the key. So they always believed that God loved Gentiles. But if they were going to be part of the people of God, they had to become Jewish. If you're a guy, you had to be circumcised. I'm so glad we're in the new covenant. <laughs> Baptism is just a lot less painful. Right? So, moving right along. I think that was the Lord trying to tip, trip me. <laughs> or the devil, I'm not sure. Which. All right. So, so, so that's our background. So, so there was this, shortly after Peter's experience, there was this great outbreak of the Holy Spirit in Antioch, way up here, and, Paul, and, and a guy named Barnabas... Uh, was pastoring, and he grabbed a guy named Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, who was living in there. He was doing the sound. He was taking care of kids' church. He was, you know, uh, making the coffee. He was just serving, being in obscurity, cultivating his servant heart, learning what it was to be part of a local congregation, because he was going to plant thousands of them. So, you know, he's kind of getting the prototype of what it was to do life together in obscurity. And then Barnabas went and got Saul. And so then Saul's next job was vice. He was the uh, assistant pastor, like Joanna. He was the assistant pastor at Antioch. That's what Paul's job was. And, over, for, and thousands and thousands of Gentiles, mostly Gentiles, came to Christ. And they didn't have to get circumcised if they were men. They didn't have to submit to the Jewish holidays and eating things. They just were saved by the grace and, faith, and through faith. And it was beautiful but sometime, somewhere in there, for a while the church in Jerusalem blessed it, but at some point, uh, some, some bad things happened. And Peter came up for a visit, and, and he's called Cephas here. And uh, the word Cephas is actually the uh, Aramaic word for Peter. So... In the New Testament, when Jesus called Peter, Peter, it was, the, it was the Greek version. But Paul, interestingly, called Peter by his Aramaic name because that was Peter's native language. So he was just honoring Peter in his cultural identity and saying, that's who, that's who he is. You'll remember that Peter's name, when we meet him in the Gospels, is Simon, which means woo, a reed blowing in the wind. And is Peter kind of like that in the Gospels? Lord, I'll never deny you. If everybody else forsakes you, I'm with you all the way. And a little junior high girl says, aren't you one of them? Right? He runs away. Right? Lord, I'll come. Bid me come. I got faith. I'm a man of faith. Jumps out of the boat. And he sinks, right? So he's a bit like that. A bit like. But what does Jesus say when Peter, he sees him, he says, People call you Reed, but I got a new name for you. See, what happens is God, when he saves you and I, he renames us. Because there's a lot of names we grow up with. Like loser and failure and unstable and, and basket case and whatever, whatever the names that have been called you. But when God saves you, he renames you. And he renamed Peter and he said... Your name is now Peter, or Cephas, which means rock. You're going to be rock. And Jesus kept calling him that when he still acted like a reed. 
And in this passage of Scripture, I think Paul became the voice of Jesus to Peter because Paul could have easily said, oh, Simon's back. But Paul calls him Cephas or Rock. He doesn't call him by his old name even though he's acting like his old name. This is so critical to this passage. Because sometimes we think Paul really took Peter to task here. I actually think Paul was being an encourager here. I think he was, he was calling Peter back to who he really was. And I believe that's our calling for each other. So let's look at the text again. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Well, that sounds heavy. Because he stood condemned. Now, I'm going I'm to tease that out a little bit in a few minutes. But just hold that thought. For before certain men came from James, and by the way, that's gender specific. It was the men who were the problem. They came from James. He used to eat with the Gentiles. He was starting to really enjoy eggs and bacon. He was starting to really enjoy, you know, steak and lobster. He says these Gentiles, they're not so bad after all. But more importantly, of course, he was enjoying table fellowship, the radical embrace of God through his life extended to the Gentiles. There was a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit happening up in Antioch. But when they arrived, these bigwigs from Jerusalem who were Judaizers, they were, they were people who insisted that, if, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but you have to become circumcised and become a Jew if you're going to become part of the people of God. And when they arrived, he began to draw back. That word draw back from the Greek literally means to, un, to furl the sail. You know how unfurling a, unfurling a sail is kind of letting the sail out so the wind can catch it. Furling a sail is pulling the sail up. And, and the other word is, is to close the fingers. So furling the sail, closing the fingers. Jesus. Remember we talked last week about welcome and embrace often has to do with posture. It has to do with posture. Your body, body language is so critical. And the body language radically turned. It was no longer God's radical embrace in Antioch. It was, ooh. So they, unfur they furled their sails and clenched their hands instead of an open hand and an open sail that could get the breath of the Spirit of God. There was a pulling back and it says, and separated himself. That literally means to set a boundary. Instead of being one family, one body in Christ, it was us and them. There was this set, this bounded set. Remember we talked about that the first week, that there's who's in and who's out. That began to happen. They're out, we're in. That unnatural boundary. That, now there's healthy boundaries, I want to say that. There are healthy boundaries. But this was an unhealthy boundary. This was a legalistic boundary. It was a hierarchy boundary. It was a status boundary. It was a caste system boundary where these people are more valuable than these people because of who they are. Right? This is what's going on. Tragic. So opposite the gospel. Broke God's heart. Broke Paul's heart. And it says he separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. And the Greek word is phobio. Phobia. Have you heard of Gentile phobia? That's what's going on here. But he was also afraid of the weight, the weightiness, these people who sounded so much like God that the national security of Israel was at stake, Peter, because you're violating Torah. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. I love the way Paul kind of just kind of sums up, calls them circumcision group. Yeah, they're the ones that say you got to cut it off in order to get in. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, now this word hypocrisy literally means they hid. So they, 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 they knew these heavyweights were coming from Jerusalem, and so they didn't want these visitors to know what they'd been doing. They'd been sitting with the Gentiles like that. And so Paul begins to go to work on Peter, 
And it says he stood condemned. Now, there's two translations. Peter might take some time next week. I mean, this Peter, not Cephas. He might take some time next week to, to tease this out a bit. But I want to propose something. Sounds like Paul's condemning Peter here, doesn't it? And some translations actually say Peter was to be blamed for his actions. But I think there's something deeper going on here. I think that Peter was condemning himself. I think that Peter, when these heavyweights came, he'd been enjoying the love and the grace of the Father and hearing Jesus name him, you are rock. But as soon as these guys came, all of a sudden that security and that confidence and that freedom in Christ of being justified by the grace of what Christ had done that began to go out the door and it was now about performance and it was about status and it was about, has that ever happened to you? Where you think, oh, Jesus loves me, he loves me, he loves me, and you get into certain circles and all of a sudden you feel this pecking order and you feel this, oh, I'm, I'm fungus among us. You ever feel like fungus among us? Yeah, me too. Fungus for the glory of God. Marginalized, right? Maybe because of the color of your skin. Maybe because everybody else has a PhD. Maybe it's because everybody has a bigger church than you. Maybe it's whatever it is. You know what I mean? Those things, they're voices. They're voices. And you can't hear the voice of the Father anymore. The Father saying, you're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. I'm delighted in you. I'm pleased with you. You can't do anything to get me more excited about you than I already am. But we lose that voice and we begin to hear those voices. And I think that's what was happening to Peter. And he stood condemned. Rather than enjoying the grace of God, he began to act out of that old identity. He began to act out of failure and act out of condemnation and act out of guilt and shame. So think about times in your life when that's happened. Because let's not be too hard on Peter. Because we've all been through that. And then we pull back. We draw back on what we know to be true because of these loud voices. And so Peter, instead of embrace and radical embrace, it's now exclusion again. It's now withdrawing. It's separation from these Gentiles. And it broke the heart of God. It broke God's heart. And this mob mentality took over because what happened, Peter's an influencer. Barnabas and other Jewish Christians who'd been enjoying table fellowship with the Gentiles, they followed him. It was like a, it, the literal Greek is they, they were like a torrent on a stream. They got caught up. It's like a mob mentality. It's like the guys in the Vancouver riot. They afterwards, so many said, I didn't know what I was doing. I got caught up in something way bigger than myself. It was like a, a mob mentality that took over. That, that happens. So Paul steps in, and he says to Peter, time for an alignment. Uh, the steering wheel's getting pulled here. The, 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 the body of Christ's car is, the tires are going to go off the road here. And he says to Peter, he says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Oh, that phrase is so powerful in the original language. It's literally the word orthopedio. You know what orthopedics are? It literally means in the Greek to walk a straight line, but we get the word orthopedics from, which is the medical practice concerned with the correction of, or, of deformities in the skeletal system. Your back is, needs to be made upright instead of bent. And, of course, the, the associated muscles and ligaments are all affected by that. They were not behaving in line, as Paul says, with the truth of the gospel. That word truth is, is what's real. It's what's concrete. They were starting to be shadow, shadow figures. Instead of lining up with truth and reality, they began to be affected by legalism and lies and, and condemnation. And there needs to be an alignment. So I, when they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter... In front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. Now, this is with all the Judaizers in the room. This is with all the Gentiles in the room. And this is with all the people that were following Peter, Peter out the door, still in the room. Paul says, hey, Peter, busted. What, what's going on there? Paul is telling all these Judaizers that came up from Jerusalem, hey, Peter was just having shellfish before he arrived. I just want you to know that. 
he lovingly ratted him out. Isn't that beautiful? How many know sometimes it's loving to rat somebody out? So, what is the emotion in this room? Awkward. It's awkward. So I said to Peter, I love the way Paul talks, I said to Peter, in front of them all, and a little, later, a little earlier said, I confronted Peter to his face. How many know that's kind of the best way to confront? I confronted him to his, all his friends. I confronted him in the news. No, 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 he did it the, the body of Christ way. He did it to his face. And he said, hey, the car's getting out of a line here. So here's, here's what's important. When these awkward moments happen, this is just a little discipleship here. When these things happen, it's very easy to, to kind of laugh it off and push it on the carpet. And, and Pete, Paul saw this as a teachable moment, and he just wanted to be in non-anxious presence right in the middle of all of this confusion. And just stand there, not run away, not kind of brush it aside, but just be a non-anxious presence. And so he, he says to them, we are Jews, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Now, he's being... <laughs> Read that phrase, okay? All the Gentiles are in the room. All the Jews are in the room. <laughs> Can you see what he's doing? We who are Jews by birth. You know, the holy ones, the special ones, the picked ones, and not sinful Gentiles. I can just see his irony as he's, as he's talking to all these people with all these categories in the room. We know that a, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, by faith. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying to Peter, Peter, you don't get it. Peter... You're, we got PG-14 here? Okay, good. Peter, because I think Paul went PG-14. You know, he doesn't describe everything he says, but I know Paul pretty good. And he's saying, Peter, don't you remember? We couldn't do that. We couldn't keep the law. We're Jews. We're God's special frozen chosen. We couldn't do it. Right? He says, you think uncircumcision is, is an issue? A little piece of skin on the end of a guy's penis? Peter, cock-a-doodle-doo. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Peter. I can just see him going, you think the Gentiles have problems, buddy? You needed grace. You needed mercy. You needed the mercy of God when you had denied Christ to his face. Oh, and by the way, Peter, before I get too condemnatory, I want you to remember what I was like. Because I, here is a trustworthy saying, he said this later to, to Timothy, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So Peter, you were bad, but I was worse. But for this reason, now I might get excited here, so look out. For this reason, I was shown mercy that to me, the worst of all sinners, Christ Jesus may show his immense patience as an example to anybody who believes. Some of you have heard me tell my story, my breakdown, is that I had this incredible experience where my... I had a psychotic experience and I, was going, I felt like I was going down into hell. And as I was going down into hell, I went, I went past the guys that cheat on their income tax. I went past them. Then I, 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 went, I went to people that robbed banks. I went past them. And then I went past the prostitutes and the, the, the adulterers and the drug addicts. And I kept going down and down and down. I went past the pedophiles and the child abusers and the rapists. I kept going down. This is true. This happened. It was more real than you guys sitting here in this room. I went down and I felt like I was falling into hell. I could smell the smells. I could hear the voices of the demons. And the voices of, of what I thought was God quoting scripture, condemning me to eternity, separated from him. I could see my family, my loved ones, on the other side of, of the gulf in paradise. And I had no way to reach them. And I reached this compartment. It was right at the bottom it was nobody else that had my name on it, and it said, Chief of Sinners. 
And then that song, that I think Johnny Cash sang it, when he reached down his hand for me, he had to reach way down. I was lost and undone without God or his son. But he reached down his hand for me. Paul said to Peter, hey, buddy, don't you know we all need grace? We all need mercy. Not just the Gentiles. We do. The, the law didn't work for us either. I, I find it interesting in the Catholic churches in Europe. I, I couldn't understand it for the longest time because you, you, you drive around and you look at this beautiful Catholic church and it has a rooster on top. <laughs> then all of a sudden I realized they, they love the Pope, but they still realize that the, the most balanced place to know is that even the Pope needs the mercy of God, the grace of God. Cock-a-doodle-doo. So, so at issue here for Peter is, is this issue of ethics and the problem of evil. And I, I had a little fun exercise. I decided to look. I've got my dictionary on my phone. And so I thought I'd look up evil and good and, and definitions. And, you know, it was so funny because, because I'd look up the definition of evil and it would say something like bad or morally bad. But it, was, it became this circular thing, which means not good, which means not right. And so you look up, not right, that means evil. It was just like... <laughs> and so we all know that there's this problem with human beings called evil, but we find it hard to define it. But we find way, we try to address it through rules and through law. So we created all these laws to avoid wiping each other out. And of course, rules and laws mean nothing if there's no motivation to keep them. So we've got to motivate you. So if you keep them, then there's a bribe. We'll reward you if you keep this law. But if you blow it, then there's punishment. There's threat. But the problem was is that that system did not deal with the problem of evil. It restrains evil, and we need law, Paul said. It restrains it, but it doesn't deal with the evil of our human heart. So I'd like to work a working definition of evil as being a broken relationship, being isolated, being cut off from God and each other, that that's where evil comes. It, it started with that disconnection at, our, at the root. Yesterday in the Vancouver Sun, there was a, uh, an article under the heading topic, Mayor's Task Force Dining, Dining with Strangers Among Recommendations That Makes Vancouver More Engaged. And the city has developed this strategy, and many, many large cities across North America are doing this, called Just Say Hello. And it's encouraging restaurants in the city to put in more long tables so strangers will talk to each other. They're encouraging winter potlucks and other ways for neighbors to bump into each other, even redesigning uh, condominiums and, and townhouses so that neighbors will bump into each other. And of course, we went over this in the neighboring series, didn't we? We talked about how that cities, large cities are realizing the greatest way they can address social problems is to just be good neighbors, to, to, to connect. And the problem with rules is that they exasperate the problem. Because you're always wondering if you're good enough, you're worthy enough, you measure up enough, fit in, fit the grade, but it's all about you. And so the relationship breaks down further and there's even further isolation. And this is what Paul is getting at. So the solution, of course, was the good news. Is, is the good news is that God gives us what's called justification. Rather than trying to be good enough and worthy enough and to get merit so that you can be in the in crowd, God front loads it all at the beginning says you are righteous. Justified means just as if I've never sinned. He says what Christ has done on the cross, what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection, has taken care of the problem of sin, and you are now free to enjoy full and uninhibited relationship with God and each other. And this was the whole message of the gospel. Paul said in, to the Corinthians, God was in Christ reconciling Sinners to himself, not counting their sins against them. And of course, we saw that in Jesus' life and ministry, where 
he broke all the Jewish tabulas. He, he, over and over again, to, for God's radical embrace. The woman who had the, the flow of blood. She was unclean ceremonially, but he touched her. The leper was unclean. He touched him. What Jesus did, as Mark Buchanan likes to say, is he reversed the cleanliness laws. In the Old Testament, if you were clean and you touched somebody unclean, you became unclean. But in the New Covenant, if you're clean and you touch somebody unclean, they become clean. God reversed it. Woo! Sorry, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Is it good or what? Come on, help me. Is this the right church? Am I in the right church? Thank you, Samantha. But you say, Gordy, there's no rules, and isn't that a problem? Isn't that a problem we have no rules? Paul kind of words it that way. He says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I would really be a lawbreaker. So his, his point is that there isn't an ethic. There is an ethic, but it's a new ethic. It's a new set of rules. I, I love Jackie Pollinger. One, I think one of the few times I met her, we were in a living room. She said in her drug rehab places in, in uh, Hong Kong, she only had two rules. Okay, what, do you, what kind of rules do you have for people that are involved in gangs? They do drugs. They sell drugs. They're heroin addicts. What, what kind of rules do you think you would need in a house like that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, she had two rules. Number one, take your shoes off when you come in the house. And number two, make sure you wear a shirt in the kitchen. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? You say, well, what about drugs? And what about relapse? And, but she knew, she knew that the thing these guys needed was relationship. And the moment you fall, if the relationship is gone, then you're just making it worse. You have to have a place where you can fall forward. I've told you about my friend... He actually came out of our youth ministry in Calgary. He became a national voice in the U.S. But he got addicted to porn. But he was in these traveling in these circles. And he finally was, was exposed in terrible, terrible fall and very high profile. He came to visit me over here not too long ago. He was on a path of restoration. He often spoke over at some of our big churches here in the city. He said to me, Gordy, I couldn't tell anybody. I had nowhere to go. I was so angry when I heard that. <laughs> what the frick is the church if we can't talk about our struggles and have a place to go where we don't have it together? Right. Well, all we do is we exasperate the problem by creating this image. But there is a new ethic. And that ethic is this. How do we live the story we love to tell? Ethic simply means how do we live? Sexual ethics, medical ethics, scientific ethics, business ethics, Christian ethics. What is our ethic? Our, ethnic, our ethic is living in line with the good news. Maybe that was a purposeful slip because I think there is something to that. Living in alignment with the good news. Which means we have to make sure the factory settings are very clear and we're immersed in the good story, the good news, the story. We're immersed, as, as, as God said to Ezekiel, we're eating the book where it's literally become a part of our fiber and through memory, through communion, through teaching, preaching, reading the scriptures in our home, home groups, we're immersing ourselves in the story so that our lives are in alignment with the good news. But the good news is, is that, that even that is not something we do on our own. Paul describes the journey like this. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You feel this kind of, kind of back and forth thing going on. The life I now live, oh, I do live. Oh, but I'm dead, but I'm living. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in. And that, that word, I don't know if Peter's going to tackle this, but that word faith is a real kind of ambivalent word. In the, in the New Testament. 
Because it can mean two things. It can mean my faith in Christ, but more, it's Christ's faithfulness. Christ's loyalty. I live by the faith of Christ. I live by the faithfulness and loyalty. Hased is the Old Testament word. His unfailing love. So even my faith, Paul said in, in Ephesians, is not of myself. It's a gift from God. It's literally trusting in His faith. It's like when I was recovering from my nervous breakdown. I told all my mentors and spiritual directors, I can't believe. But my, my wife really believes. So I'm going to have faith in her faith for a while. And you know there's times we have to go through that. We just have faith in somebody else's faith. But for the rest of my life, I'm going to have faith in his faith. He's got way more faith than I do. So it's leaning. It's just walking with him. It's, it's being in relationship. It's, it's where you're going, Lord, when, I, when I'm unfaithful, it says you're going to be faithful still because you can't deny yourself. You're my rock. I'm crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Peter, then all the sufferings that your lovely Savior went through are worth nothing if you're depending on your own merit. So the good news is our ethical plumb line. Anybody ever use a plumb line in construction? What does a plumb line do? Make sure that you're at the right angle in your building, right? Or level. My dad used to pull out a level. Gordy, go get the level. I'd say, what's the level again? He'd describe, okay, go get the level. Got to have the bubble in the middle. Make sure things are horizontal, vertical, plumb line. So the gospel is that. And we align ourselves to it by immersing ourselves in the story with a view to living it through an ongoing encounter with Jesus. It's not something we were ever meant to do on our own. It's him living his life through us. So as we go into our home groups this week, or you reflect on your own or with friends, what are some situations in your life where you, like Peter, have found yourself bent towards other voices rather than upright towards the Father's voice? And that shame and condemnation kind of... Secondly... How can we more intentionally immerse ourselves in the good news and help each other listen more deeply to the Father's voice when other voices are demanding our attention? And, and finally, when Christ calls us, He renames us, as I mentioned. We become a new creation. What are the name changes He's given you? Pray for each other and listen. Take some time in your groups and actually ask the Holy Spirit. We did this a little bit last night with some folks. Just hearing the Holy Spirit name people. What's he calling you? Did you know that's an act of fathering? To name. It's an act of parenting. To name children. Because when you name someone, you're calling them forth. You're calling the real person. The Lord's naming you, Sarah. Calls you by name. Says you're mine. And those old identities and voices, they're, they're falling away the more you listen to his voice. And we have to help each other do that because, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, encouragement in the mouth of a brother or sister is ten times more powerful than when we get it from God because they are the body of Christ to us. So there's power in that. So maybe somebody could go get our kids and we're going to have intergenerational communion. Hey, good timing, Jocelyn. Way to go. She's the leader today. Somebody could go to uh, bring the children up. You know what communion is? Is It's literally calibrating ourselves to the story of the good news. Communion is, is aligning ourselves. What did Paul say to the Corinthians? You guys, you're out of line. You're not acting according to the story. Don't come to communion and talk about radical embrace and you didn't even feed that person that came or... You're, you're rejecting or isolating or excluding others. Don't do that. You're not living according to the story. So important. So important.
I want us to just... Yes. Joanna asked me if I have a song. I do have a song. Thank you for reminding me because I forgot. Are you ready? If you know it. It's a little bit of a different version of it. But I think you know the words. Right? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So we allow the words of justification, the words that Martin Luther wrestled with as an Augustinian monk and couldn't, couldn't get how the righteousness of God could be good news for him. Because he saw it through the lens of performance. He th saw it through the lens of merit. And then one day, the light broke in on him. And he saw that justification and righteousness was downloaded. He used the term alien righteousness. I'm not totally comfortable with that phrase. But I know what he means, is that you and I need an injection of righteousness. We don't have it on our own, but it's been given to us by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hi, Gordy. Welcome. Yeah. Oh, did you have something else? About the song? Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. 